So, James, today we spoke with Ron Herman at Psionic. Uh, real-time payments are getting real. They really are. And, and Patty, I'll tell you, uh, every time I go through one of my thinking phases about the payment processing industry, mm-hmm. I'm always drawn to B2B payments and, and this idea of the ACH and real-time mm-hmm. payments. And it was really cool to talk to somebody that is really on like kind of the bleeding edge of yes. that technology. Um, I, I would want to warn our listeners that, you know, the first maybe five, 10 minutes of the interview, we really did zoom out and kind of talk about this concept, but right. trust but trust us, we both of us, we get very practical of how this applies to ISOs right. and agents. You're definitely going to want to hear this because I think you're going to be seeing it in a market, you know, in your market very soon. Yeah. And, you know, the beginning, we did get a little bit into the weeds, but I really wanted people to understand it's important concept. Yeah, yeah. It's very important, I think, to understand that. And then uh, questions in the field today, uh, I really kind of ad-lib, to be honest. Um, but, it, you know, it's one of those things where every once in a while, I just get so many calls from so many different agents that I feel like I, I need to get it almost off my chest a little bit. And so today, yeah, the, right? the idea was, for those of you that are having a hard time selling people, you know, um, I tell you why. And I, I give you some advice that I, I think will really, really help you. For those of you yeah. that are more advanced, um, I think if you listen to this, it's probably things you're already doing in some ways. But I think the realization of kind of the psychology behind um, this is going to help you to improve your presentation, hopefully. Um, and then, Patty, uh, I thought your insiders today uh, very applicable to our audience. They're going to find it very interesting. Yeah, just, uh, you know, what's going on in, some, in, in one particular state with regards to disclosures and allowing for surcharging and cash discounting. I'm not going to get too much into it. You know, stay yeah. tuned and listen to that segment. Love it. So, and as, and this, uh, this podcast, of course, brought to you by NMI. So it's NMI.com. Uh, definitely check them out. Uh, they're our official sponsor. So it's NMI.com, Processor Agnostic Gateway and Technology Company. With that being said, let's dive into our interview today with Ron. Let's do it. Welcome to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Today, James and I are here with my friend, uh, Ron from Psionic. Ron, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks so much, Patty. Uh, great to see you. Great to see you. Hey, um, you know, today we're going to talk about real-time payments and, and how it's moving into the point of sale. But first, Ron, before we get into all that, maybe you can provide us with a little background, you know, how you got into payments, what inspired the, the starting of Psionic. You know, just give us a little uh, snapshot, please. Sure, sure. So um, you're going to find this, I think, interesting. Our very first payments partner back in, gosh, 2011, 2012 was uh-huh. Dwala. Oh, really? Know. Interesting. Yeah. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's hard to believe we're in our 12th year already, but um, yeah, that, we kind of cut our teeth on that, um, on that uh, payment engine and we did it intentionally uh-huh. um, because as we created this business, we really believe that in order for us to um, to really adhere to what we call mobile commerce, which to us means a payment with a, an associated real-time reward, mm-hmm. in order for us to get those rewards into that transaction without breaking the merchant's bank, we thought it was important to try to reduce the cost of payments. Right. So, you know, we this it's interesting. It's like we're the boomerang company. 12 years later, now we're looking at doing the exact same thing. Right. Real-time payments, you know. With real-time really, instead of... And just to explain to our people, in case you don't know, Dwala is an ACH based, right? It is. Yep. And at back at the time, they, they would charge a flat 20 cents to move money from one bank account to another. And we built them into our very first mobile app um, mm-hmm. that was able to do that, which is really cool. It's slick for the time. 
Yeah, yeah, that's very, very, I, I like the way it kind of came back around, you know, because, <laughs> I mean, in those days, the ACH was sort of, kind of, sort of fast, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it certainly was cheaper, right, I mean, which yes. is how Dwala got its start. Um, okay, so let's, let's talk about real-time payments, you know, mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure if everybody out there understands it, sometimes I'm not sure I totally understand it, so can you provide a little background? on the movement to real-time payments, you know, and uh, how these differ from things like same-day ACH and other, quote, faster payments initiatives. Yeah, that's, that's really good. It's interesting. Um, we're kind of in a fascinating time. We've got um, one group, you know, which is the Clearinghouse, which is bank-owned, mm-hmm. um, that's really pushed hard, and they, they introduced the RTP network, a real-time payment network, five years ago. Right. And um, getting good traction and then um, and kind of associated with that from a from a, a, a task force perspective is the U.S. Faster Payments Council. Right. Which is the so Federal kind of, Reserve. Yeah, exactly. I right. kind of lump those together in one in one group. And then and then right on their heels now is the Federal Reserve and the FedNow program and then their own Fed's faster payments, you know, task force. Mm-hmm. So what's interesting is um, if you, we take a step back and look at faster payments and then focus on the banking channel, the FIs, right. um, we, we, they really have been, have been um, segregated or I should say bifurcated into two different camps. Okay. One being the early warning Zell camp, right. which technically is near real time. It's not really real time. Mm-hmm. And then the clearinghouse with the RTP network, which truly is real time. Mm-hmm. So some of the it's kind of a weird weird model because some of the banks own both parts of some of the right. Companies. That's what I was just thinking. Yeah, yeah. But at the end of the day, they have the banks and the banks' customers in their best interest. Mm-hmm. So you kind of see them bumping up a little bit against what's going on with Fed now, which, as you know, is in pilot mode. Right. Um, expected to launch sometime next year. Right. Right. And 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 in a way, I mean, they kind of compete, but they also sort of complement each other. Right. What the Fed is doing and what the clearinghouse is doing with RTP and even what Zelle is doing um, in terms of, you know, a lot of, and, and it's not exclusively, but RTP and Zelle both are, um, comp- the ownerships are comprised largely of the largest banks in the country. Um, whereas the Fed, when Fed now is in place, it's going to be basically any bank that has access to the Fed, right? You're exactly right. In fact, that is the key differentiator. Mm-hmm. Um, there are there are a handful of owners, you know, owner financial institutions for both of those entities, mm-hmm. um, which, which is kind of cool. But at the same time, and there are, don't, don't get me wrong, there are a lot of, of RTP network um, banks that are involved, obviously, that are, are participating. Sure. But I, I think if the country is to reach more ubiquitous, faster payments, FedNow is a must. Right, right, right. So let's talk about what Psionic is doing. Um, as I understand this, this is a bank-to-bank payment service uh, position for the point of sale. Um, and I'm wondering, you know, how does it um, leverage the existing infrastructure or and or change the status quo? It's interesting. Yeah, so we are definitely using, we're tapping into the RTP network. Um, and just to be clear, you know, transparent in, in the role we play we are um, truly a technology company that is responsible on behalf of merchants on one hand and consumers on the other to insert messages, technically messages either asking for or sending money to the other one. So we literally tap into a, um, a bank's RTP network. 
and we're launching with a very large bank um, that I'm unable to share with you at the moment uh, because we're under NDA. Um, but it is one of the top owners of uh, the clearinghouse and early warning. Mm -hmm. And we, we literally just insert the RTP message that goes, which is the bank to bank connectivity. Right. It actually does the transfer of funds and then we manage any exception that happens to occur. What okay. kind of exception would you be talking about there? Let's just say that for, for, for whatever reason, the RTP transaction does not, does not, uh, is not successful. It uh -huh. could be for a variety of reasons. Right. Though we do on the front ends, we do an immediate check to say, is this consumer's bank part of the RTP network? Uh -huh. And we know right away whether or not they are. Likewise with the merchant. Uh -huh. um, and then we automatically account for the fact that it's not going to go down the RTP payment rail. Rather, we're going to immediately default and send it down, as you stated earlier, Patty, the same day ACH rail. Okay. And then the, the kind of the last bastion is if, it, if it's too late to meet the criteria for same day, then it, it defaults to, to, you know, next day a normal two-day ACH. I gotcha. I gotcha. Yep. So, so um, I know that you, you know, you're working with the RTP. I also, if I remember correct, correctly, you're working with Shift 4. Mm -hmm. uh, Google, yes, and, and GM, and I think that's really interesting. I'd love to sort of, if you don't mind, just diverging for a moment and mm -hmm. talk about the GM partnership because that, to me, is sort of very futuristic. Thank um, you. I will. And what's interesting is I'm going to add one more little. Not that I'm dropping names, but Visa is a very important client for us as well, or partner rather. Okay. Um, as it applies to security and fraud. Mm -hmm. um, but on the GM front, so we actually entered into an agreement with General Motors back in 2018. Um, and we, our role with one other organization um, was to actually bring commerce transactions um, into the vehicle cockpit, technically through the dashboard. Right. And so, um, you know, we were, we and General Motors particularly, um, were very, very, very early in, in, in vehicle commerce. Mm -hmm. um, and when I tell you we skinned our knees pretty badly, we all did. It's just the reality. Sure. Um, however, kind of, and then and then the pandemic hit, so nobody was driving anyway. Um, and as all this occurred, now suddenly we're kind of going into a redux, you know, 2.0 of in-vehicle commerce. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, and, and now the, all of the automotive OEMs, GM included, are getting away from, you know, having to take your hand off the steering wheel and tap the and dashboard tap, right? yeah. screen to be able to do something with the exception of like, you know, turn on the air conditioner or something, but not to scroll through a menu and ordering 15 cups of coffee. That's just not realistic. Right, right. So um, we took advantage, I know this is going to sound horrible, we took advantage of the downtime for the pandemic and we, we, we retooled the product that we built initially for General Motors called Ulink. And we built it on top of not only within Google Cloud, but we start, we built it with Google Assistant, so you can speak what you want. And then we 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 res, we um, use Google Maps to display what you're what you're trying to do, and then get you to your place. So we call it speak and see. So uh -huh. you can literally with within any vehicle that um, you know, there's like Volvo and Ram, um, many others that are coming into this Android automotive operating system with sure. Google. In fact, many of the new GM cars. Mm -hmm. So our focus is going to be, um, you know, buying gas, finding an EV charging station and paying for it in advance, reserving it, if you will. Um, and the common one, which everybody does like, and then we, we learned that in the first round, 
is to be able to order your favorite food and skip the line, you know, whether it's takeout or, or drive through, order ahead, pay ahead, and, and you get it delivered to your car. So, so let me just kind of visualize this for a second, okay? Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm driving down the road. I decide I want a cup of coffee. I want a Starbucks, let's say, right? Sure. Uh, so I say, hey, uh, you know, find me a Starbucks cup of coffee. That'll then display where the nearest Starbucks is, and then right. and order your coffee for order and pay for your coffee. I'm presuming it's going to be a real time payment. Correct. Yeah, pay by bank is an option. Exactly. Is an option, and then I just basically drive up. You know, directs me, tells me Starbucks is three blocks up on the left. Take a right or whatever. You know, um, and then I get my coffee. That's what you're talking yep. about. Yep. And in fact, if that particular location offers curbside pickup, which many of them do, especially right. after the pandemic, um, then you literally pull into the spot and they're going to bring it out to you. That's pretty cool. It's very cool. <laughs> very so, cool. Yeah. So, Ron, I love all this thing. It's, uh, you know, sounds awesome. Very cool. I want to shift gears just a little bit. So for our audience, ISOs and agents mm -hmm. that are primarily selling SMBs, right? Yeah. Um, let's talk for a second about that. So I, I want to make sure I understand it. I think I'm still a little hazy on some of the details here. So if I'm a payment processing company mm -hmm. and I have or an, an ISO and I have, um, I have a, a pizza shop that currently processes payments through, let's say, Clover point of sale, right? Mm -hmm. um, how would I work with you and how would the merchant work with you and, and why? Um, so think of us as a, um, a snap-on to an existing platform, an existing system, an existing ecosystem. Um, if you, we kind of, we kind of divide the world into pay by predominant payment methodology and then pay by bank, which is the piece that we're bringing to the market. Um, we really don't want to tread into the pay by, you know, pay by card space, though we, we do offer that functionality for some of the SMBs. Um, and we do that through CyberSource. We use their gateway for processing transactions for card transactions. Okay. Um, so, but we really do focus on, on providing let's just call it the simple technology as a widget. Our widget basically allows a merchant to accept, and this is a cool word, to accept real-time direct deposit cash payments at their point of sale from customers. Now the customers um, actually, it's gonna be interesting. I think James, the majority of the customers are going to be coming into those like pizza places um, if they hadn't already connected their, you know, at uh, some point linked their bank account, to one of the other places within the within our world, so to speak, um, then doing it is very quick. It's just like logging into your mobile banking app. Um, and once that account is is technically linked into our our Ulink environment, you can do that. You can use that same pay by bank if you are paying for that Starbucks coffee that Patty referenced earlier. But in this model, um, there, we have a lot of different alliances coming along with us as we launch, you know, real time pay by bank including Jack Henry and all of their banks and credit unions um, that are have tapped into the same RTP network. So I can technically be coming into your pizza shop. Um, and I'm just, this is purely by example, just because I know they're a Jack Henry client. They are not our client, but I could be in the Boston area and, um, and be banking with Cape Cod five using their mobile banking app. And, and through Jack Henry can actually have pay by bank, and showing all the retailers around me where I can pay by bank with my bank account right from within the app. Um, and they're gonna give me a perk. Let's say the pizza place is, you know, if you'll pay me by bank, um, I'm gonna give you uh, a free soda or a free dessert, you know, a, a free 
molten cake, if you will. So that's kind of where Cyana comes in. We, we enable that bank-to-bank -bank payment and also make sure that that perk is rewarded appropriately and accounted for for the merchant. And, and the reason that a merchant would want to do this is what exactly? Just a cost reduction or is there, is there a different uh, motivation? Think of it in three. I think there are really three true value props for the, for the SMB merchant specifically. The, fast, the, the first one is obvious. They get their money in a matter of seconds. Um, and in fact, we, we created an app called CodePay, which is really designed to be branded by the banks like Cape Cod 5, free to their merchant, their business customer, um, that allows them to accept that digital cash without having to touch their point of sale. Meaning if they're using, you referenced earlier, Clover, if they're using right. any point of sale system or none whatsoever, they can still accept that cash payment. And we actually have a little alarm that when the, when the bank hits, you know, when the transfer hits, it'll like, cha -ching, and they got money in their account literally for that transaction while the customer is standing face to face. Yeah. Um, so that's number one. Number two, as you, you mentioned, it's a significant cost reduction. We are bypassing the, you know, the interchange fees and the net card network rails by going right from bank to bank. Mm -hmm. um, so the, the advantage to the merchant is we have a flat 1% fee, a success fee. We pay all the, you know, the banking fees that are part of that movement. Um, and so they've got a, a 2% savings, if you think of it, right off the top. And then the third is, I mentioned earlier that, that you know, your pizza place would be, would be shown inside all those mobile banking apps. Um, it'll, be, it'll be visible to help draw customers in as a marketing tool without having to spend a penny to do it. Okay, got it. Yeah. And then one other question, I know Patty's going to dive into more detail on this later, but I'm just curious. So just to clarify, it, it's, I'm assuming that you do in some way work with ISOs that would want to offer this. And if so, how, is, how does that, that relate to the economic model? I mean, is there, are they getting part of that 1% or like what, how does that work exactly? All right. Yes, it's, we are very, um, very focused on, in fact, we just received a, an inquiry for our first um, ISO distributor uh, based in Texas. Um, he has roughly 15, um, 1,500 clients, customers um, that are, are predominantly using Clover, interestingly enough. Okay. And um, he wants to add the pay by bank functionality. So what he will do is um, he will, we will white label or private label the code pay branded by his ice by his company he'll offer it to them for free obviously when they download it and they log in for the first time it'll be branded both his company name um, and he gets you know a portion of every one percent fee that we get he gets automatically okay got it all right that's super interesting okay so last question here really for me I just want to understand the kind of equipment side of this so right. so okay I have this clover device um, and I probably do want everything to go into my Clover or my point of sale. I don't, I don't want it. When I look at my reporting at the end of the night, I don't want to have, you know, different reporting. So I don't know if you're already there or if that's a direction you're looking to go, but as you work with the ISOs, are, are we trying to make something that's kind of more seamless for the, the merchant or do they need a separate terminal on the side? Do they have to use their phone? Because a lot of times they have, you know, three teenagers at the counter and the owner's not there. So which phone do they use? So help me understand kind of this face-to-face -face reality and, and, and maybe even touch on the, yeah, I, to me, the card not present is easy. That that makes sense to me. I'm just trying to understand really the face-to-face -face part of it. Yeah, so you're right. So the, the, the lovely part about our, our world is there's no CNP, right? There's no card not present um, because everything is bank-to-bank. -bank. So it's 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 interesting that that whole, that whole realm is, is no longer part of our vernacular, right? But you're right, um, James. We So our, our, our rollout plan is very specific and strategic by nature. 
Um, Clover, as you're well aware, is owned by Pfizer, and Pfizer mm -hmm. actually has their own RTP practice. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping that someday that they will get around to offering pay by bank um, natively through Clover. Um, to be clear, we've actually already written that code, um, but because it's, you know, that was back when they were part of first data. Mm -hmm. So our focus is, um, is the fastest path to get cash into merchants' hands is through this free code pay app. Um, and the reason why we say it works with any point of sale is because um, it's cash. So when you accept it, you know, when, you, when the tender key that's on the, on the tablet or on the point of sale, the cash key literally is the button that they push. So there's really no new learning. Um, the app, if they don't want to put it on their phone, um, there's a very inexpensive um, a device that they can get from Amazon that we've already coded to uh, that not only shows up on, you know, it's an Android uh, functionality, but it also can automatically print out orders um, through that same device that we offer as part of that app. Um, and again, that just to make, to make it really simple. Um, and then likewise on that same device, if they want you know, to put in their cash drawer at the end of the day when they're counting their tills um, and making sure their deposits match, then printing out the little receipt of all the transactions with yeah. the total amount that's in their bank account is also there. But I don't, want, I don't want to mislead you. Our focus is in getting into the integrated with many of the point of sale systems because that'll be natural. Yeah, I, now it all kind of clicked with me of like, yeah, I get it now. They they push the cash button when they're true enough to register at the end of the night. They get some kind of little receipt from the device that says, here's how much cash you got from bank to bank. What's interesting to me, it's funny you're saying, really for you guys, CNP doesn't stand for card not present. It stands for customer not present. <laughs> right? Oh, right, 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 sure. Because I mean, that is a little bit of a difference, at least in our world, because if you have a merchant, and it's interesting you say all this because... Um, right before this event, I just paid a bill for a home services contractor for our home. You know, there was, you know, thousands of dollars and it was extremely inconvenient um, because they didn't do bank to bank. They didn't do any kind of, not even ACH. So I think um, I'm definitely seeing that kind of world. This is just such a, a no brainer. I mean, it's almost like a, you know, they should all be offering this. So I, I love that. Um, but I know, I know Patty asked more follow-up questions, but I think, I think I, the only thing I was curious was, have you seen that trend or as you're going out to the SMB market, is it more of these business types where it's maybe a little bit of a larger average ticket size, the, the customer's not face-to-face, -face, or are you seeing more of the face-to-face? -face? Is, is there any kind of trend that you've seen there? Um, we're just launching this, just to be clear. Um, you know, RTP, for, we're, our, our version of RTP is called RTP Commerce. Okay. And, um, and it is brand new. And, and in fact, we, we know without any uncertainty that we are the only uh, partner bringing this commerce transactions to the RTP network. Okay. Um, so we're launching um, very methodically through um, a couple of our, our, our current app partners that are adding pay by bank into their uh, adjacent to the pay by card checkout process. Right. Um, and we also have around 20,000 locations around the country of SMBs. Um, that we're uh, enabling the turn, you know, turning on the pay by bank, and they are customer present. You, you, it's funny you should mention pizza. So we got a local pizza guy and a local burger place, literally within you know a block of my office, um, that have been longtime clients, and they're really excited about you know being able to get this cash. Yeah. Um, sure. But this, you know, the kind of the rollout in parallel is we have um, several um, online e-com sites. They're going to be adding pay by bank, which obviously is is a, a very different experience than if you're face to face. Right. Um, but That's we do have very very strong ambitions of, you know, Patty mentioned at the top of the hour or top of the top top of the uh, message. We we really focus on four areas of commerce. Um, obviously, mobile is our is our core and our origins. Um, online, 
um, in store at the point of sale, as you suggested, and then in vehicle. So those four areas, the experience has to be near identical um, for the consumer. Right, right. So, so just to just to um, reiterate, then you're you're just now in the process of rolling out um, to to merchants, right? I mean, it's we not are. something that's really out there per se. So, what I'm wondering is, is what is the role you see for ISOs? I know you kind of spoke to that a minute ago with James, when to James's question, but I just want to you know get a little more certainty there in terms of what the role is that you see for ISOs and merchants level sales folks for selling something like real like this a real time payment solution and 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 if you could reiterate if you could uh, restate the compensation model i think people would be interested in that absolutely um, so to be clear we 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 split that 1% 50/50 and our model is very simple he or she who brings the merchant to the ulink network gets that revenue period as long as that merchant is part of the remains part of the bank you know pay by bank network so that's, that's first. Second, and you talked about this really early on, Patty, is shift four. Mm -hmm. um, so shift four, as you know, is very heavy in the ISO market. Right. And in fact, you know, I know you know Jared quite well, mm -hmm. Jared Isaacson. Um, and we the are- The astronaut. The astronaut, <laughs> the billionaire turned astronaut. That's yes. right, the billionaire astronaut, right? <laughs> yeah. So um, we're working very aggressively with uh, shift four um, to be able to enable pay by bank through their entire network as well, the uh, ISOs and agents. Mm -hmm. um, and in, on one hand, and on the other hand, um, they are doing a, a pretty massive relaunch of their SkyTap point of sale. I was just going to ask about that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They're, they've got a, they've got their hands full trying to compete with Square and, you know, Clover and uh, Host. Yeah. All those folks. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, my position with the, with the, my shift four friends is, you need to move pretty fast and get this pay by bank uh, functionality baked into your into your um, your your newly branded, newly consolidated SkyTap because their system is slick. But you know they need a differentiator, and their ISOs need a differentiator. So that's mm -hmm. one path. Mm -hmm. um, but you know we have we we built the platform um, for indirect distribution through ISOs and agents, um, and we welcome any one of those group, you know groups to come in. Um, our marketing team right now is hard at work preparing, you know, videos and demos, and um, we put the putting the final touches on the, the portal that they log into, do all the management and all the all the um, acquisition tools that are baked in. Um, but we're, we're, you know, technically we're planning on um, turning this on with a with a live major event the first week of August. Okay. Cool. If I, you know, if I could just jump in, one of the two things I was thinking about when you were talking about that with with the ISOs. Um, and, and the POS company. So one is just to clarify for our friends listening that have an ISV um, that have some type of a software company. Am I understanding correctly that, you know, you have this at a point where there's an API that they would be able to utilize in order to integrate this. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, we have, we have, if you're a, a, an e-com shop, we have a web widget that's um, that has all the endpoints self-contained and containerized securely. Okay. Um, if you're an ISO, if any kind of uh, software provider, ISV, um, we have we expose our endpoints um, through the APIs, and if okay. you have a mobile app, we have SDKs. That's great. Okay, cool. And then, um, yeah, you know what? What the other thing that just kind of crossed my mind, and not that this is a topic of conversation, but just an interesting point. You know, as a lot of these companies, ISVs and ISOs are um, doing, you know, dual pricing, cash discounting, surcharging these ways of passing the cost of processing to the consumer. 
a lot of times where, where there's a point of frustration is kind of, you know, the options they have available because people don't normally carry cash. A lot yeah. of people don't carry cash. So a lot of times it's like, well, there's this more expensive price if you pay with a card and it's a little bit less expensive if you pay with cash. And there's always a bit of a rub. So I think mm-hmm. this would be an interesting one to fit into that, especially in a point of sale integration to say, if you want to pay with a cash or bank to bank transaction, that's free. Now the merchant's covering that 1%, which is a lot less expensive than traditional card costs. So I think that yeah. that'll be another one where I could see people having an interest in that. Yeah, I can I agree too. Yeah. In yeah. fact, it kind of raises the question with me, Ron. Um, do you expect others, you know, once RTP, you know, continue as RTP continues to grow and once Fed now is out there, um, I know you've been active with the, the faster payments task force and all of that stuff. Do you see other companies out there trying to do something similar? Yeah, I think that I, I do. There, um, I would expect that the larger, the two larger um, big payment processing slash, they now call themselves fintech companies. But, you know, I, I would look at FIS Global and Fiserv because they do already have a faster payments um, consulting group. Right? And yeah. yeah, and they do a lot for, you know, there's some of the mid-tier banks that are already using, you know, the, the like, for example, the Fiserv um, RTP tech, you know, their, their, their service is just white labeled. Right. Um, I'll tell you, I think I shared with you, we, we're probably got a two-year leg up right now based on, mm-hmm. um, you know, based on where we know everybody else in the marketplace is. Mm-hmm. So our focus is to um, is to literally get as many folks on both of the consumer side, as you might imagine, we're talking to um, the two big wallet companies right. um, on the consumer side, um, being able to add a pay by bank service or feature inside of, of, of those would be really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and then likewise on the merchant side, um, you know, we, our ambitions go beyond SMB. So we are talking directly and indirectly um, through partners um, with the large enterprise retailers who are really keen. You know, I go back, I might be aging myself, but I go back to the MCX days, the Merchant sure. Customer Exchange. Yeah. And all of those retailers, they have not lost their appetite for cost reduction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah no, for of sure. Of course not, especially now, I would imagine, you know. Yeah, one and one of the other well, one of the really interesting things about what you're doing, Ron, is that obviously you do have this two two sided market, and so that is potentially a really big barrier to entry. So I'm I'm sure you're in that move quick mode right now because what's interesting is if you can get distribution through ISOs and and agents, that would be a, a big way to you know kind of tap into that. And so once the other big players try to make a move, well, the problem is if they don't have the other side of the market, it doesn't really matter how many merchants allow you to pay with this if nobody has their if no consumers or clients have their app to use. So I think that, I think it's very interesting what you're building because you're in a way you're almost building another like the Visa and MasterCard network. I know you're partnering, but it's like you're almost building your own network in a way because you, it is two-sided. You have to have the customers that have added their bank information and then they can use it in the merchant. Is that, is that accurate? Very, very accurate. And in fact, what's yeah. interesting, you know, the, the, the out of the gate target audience, um, as you might expect, um, are and, and we're very specific in our messaging to this to this segment of the of the of the population um, is the you know the millennials and Gen Zers for a couple of reasons. Um, one is um, a the population is growing and my population is dwindling. But more importantly, you know we're really trying to get them back to sensible spending, right? Um, yeah. And they're they're you know unfortunately with BNPL with buy now pay later. Um, that audience has been hit fairly hard with the consequences of, um, of not spending within your means. Right. Um, right. And the right. majority of those folks, 
you know, they may not even have a credit card. They prefer to pay by a bank. They don't like even to have a debit card. So they're attracted to the neo banks for that reason alone. Mm. Um, so that's yeah. really the audience we're trying to, to address upfront to say, you know, look, not only is it good for you, it's also good for the merchant you're paying. That small business that, that, that is a customer of that ISO or agent, um, you know, they're struggling still. And if you can pay them with your bank account and avoid that 3%, that's a, that's a good thing. Well, this is really interesting, Ron. I, I'm really intrigued to see where this goes. I know you and I have talked about it in the past, but um, I'm really glad we could bring it to our audience. Um, just wondering if you, you know, where would you send folks if they want to learn more about Psionic and perhaps opportunities for working with you? So interesting. We actually, we launched a brand new site just a few weeks ago at Psionic.io. And um, we're standing up, I just literally, before jumping on this, this call, I, I um, I met with the marketing team. We're standing up a new a section of the website specifically for ISOs and resellers. Okay. Um, and what I'll, what we, you can it'll be in the menu of the of the website, so you can click on it, um, and it'll be a site dedicated specifically for those who want to resell the service. And that's a Psionic S I O N I C dot I O. That's right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, Ron, well, this has been really this has been really um, informing informative. Um, I've really enjoyed our conversation and uh, thank you very much for sharing this with us and with our audience. Thank you, Patty. And it was great to meet you, James. Great to meet you too, Ron. Thanks so much for spending some time with us today. So Patty, I am sure that a lot of our listeners use Iris CRM either directly or indirectly. I, almost everybody I know in this industry does, but yeah. Yeah. So I think for those of you that are already into Iris, I wanted to talk for just a minute about integrations into Iris and some of the different things that you can do. Yeah. Um, this particular commercial will be a little bit self-serving because I want to talk about ISOAMP. Um, and so <laughs> as we should, as we should, but I want to kind of come at it from a, an interesting angle. So we worked with Iris. So for those of you who don't know, ISOAMP is the leader in full service statement analysis. It's one of the software companies I own. Um, and so you can go to getisoamp.com to learn more about that one. But as far as Iris goes, so it's iriscrm.com. Iris is without a doubt the leader, the indisputable, almost the only, you know, right. full service uh, customer relationship management. They handle residual payments and all of that. And they're fully integrated into all of these different payment processors to pull the data in for residual calculation, for customer portal, for all of that merchant portal. Um, but one of the other things that people don't know about is Iris has also really streamlined the customer onboarding. Uh, we're going to have VJ, uh, who's the uh, president at NMI, we're going to have him right. on in the near future here in a, in a week or, two or so, and he'll talk more about this, but they've really streamlined the onboarding process. Mm. And one of the ways they've done that is with integrations with key companies. We've had, I think we had the, didn't we have um, under.io on here at one point? If not, we will soon. The guy that does all so the, yet. yeah. okay, well, the under.io has an integration. They're the ones that will take your merchant uh, agreement <clears throat> and they make it into this amazing online um, flow where they oh, only nice. get the fields that that you actually need. Because, you know, on a, on a PDF yeah. document, there's going to be like, they're going to ask you the same question eight times, you know, right, of course. put your name or your address eight times on there. Um, so they really have a beautiful streamlined approach and it feeds right into um, Iris. Nice. Um, another provider, ISOAMP, right? You're doing a statement analysis, upload your document right from an Iris. And mm -hmm. if you have the um, ISOAMP integration there, which is super easy to set up, it's not like you have to do any programming or anything. We do it for you. But once that once that's set up, 
the, the document goes to us, the proposal comes back to you in Iris with a note in, on that lead. Um, and then you can take the pricing and everything and you can put that into the under.io. So there's just a lot of integrations that they've done. And so for those of you that I think, I think a lot of you can 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 um, relate to this where you are boarding deals with kind of a legacy provider that has a little bit of a old fashioned um, underwriting and onboarding flow. Something that probably was homegrown. Yes, uh, yes. homegrown over the last 35 years or something. Right. Uh, and then it was, you know, acquired and changed and merged and everything else. Right. So um, I would encourage you to go to iriscrm.com and talk to them about how can you streamline the onboarding process, mm. see the underwriting in real time and get everything that you need. And they've accomplished this through all these integrations that they've done with these different companies. Now they're, of course, uh, you know, being acquired by NMI have even more clout and more connections along those lines. So I think right. we're only going to see these integrations improve. And I'm actually really looking to them because I think our industry needs that um, because we have all these pay facts and everybody that has this really smooth process. Right. Some of you don't have that, but you could get it while using your same processing company if you work through NMI and some of the partners that they have integrated as well. So if you want to learn more about Iris, go to iriscrm. So it's I-R-I-S-C-R-M.com. Definitely check them out. If you're already using them, talk to them about your onboarding process and how you yeah. can improve it. If you're not using them, you definitely need to get a demo and check them out. So again, it's iriscrm.com. This is Questions from the Field, brought to you by ccsalespro.com, the leader in merchant sales training and technology. If you're an individual merchant sales professional, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash training to get a free 14-day trial of our all-access pass. If you manage a team of merchant sales professionals, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash ISO to learn how we can help you grow. And now, here is Questions from the Field with James Shepard. So Patty, today on Questions from the Field, I wanted to get really practical and just talk about uh, generating questions and curiosity from your opening. Mm. Um, this is something I talk to a lot of agents about. And so um, if you wanna know if this, uh, is for you, there, there's a couple of warning signs where you might need this segment, okay? Okay. Um, warning sign number one is nobody seems to like you and you can't make any traction when you're out selling or you're on the phone, Yeah. okay? Yeah. That would be a really bad one. That's a bad one. Uh, that would be fairly unusual. I think most of you that are in sales, you know, unless it's like your first week, I mean, you probably are connecting with people. The second one would be you are getting a no before you feel like you've presented what you wanted to present. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're getting cut off too early. Yep. You know, and you're kind of like, don't say no yet. I didn't even tell you I what I haven't it even was. told you what I'm offering yet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so let me explain why that would be happening. Um, and, you know, first let's explain why it's, you know, the, the reason that it's, you know, a, 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 the wrong reason. Okay. In your mind, if you have an excuse, it's your market, it's these mean business owners, uh, any of these uh, exterior circumstances, you're wrong. Right. Um, it's not that. Um, there is rarely a day that goes by that I don't talk to an agent who tells me that their market is the one that just doesn't work for whatever, selling right. dual pricing or selling point of sale systems for whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and then within you know 30 days, I talk to a different agent from that same area that tells me they're doing fantastic. Right, right. So I can assure you um, that it's you. <laughs> so sorry to be so harsh, but this is the merchant sales podcast. And so if you're in sales and you're not selling people, 
it's you. It's yeah. not the people that you're trying right. to sell. Right. So um, that's if that's what you're thinking, then you definitely need this segment. Okay. So th- there's a lot of things. You know, sales is a complicated uh, topic. You know, I tell people all the time. I say, you know, there's a reason why top salespeople make about the same amount of money as top surgeons do, because top surgeons usually spend about 12 years um, in you know after high school in uh, college or various forms of training. Top salespeople usually spend about 12 years um, nonstop studying sales, perfecting their craft, and that's why they get paid about the same. And so this idea that, you know, um, 30 days ago you were a, um, a waiter or a waitress, and now you feel like you need to be a top salesperson is frankly ridiculous. Right. Um, now, that doesn't mean that you can't make a living at it. If you work just as hard, if you work your 40 hours a week at merchant sales, you can make some pretty good money. You can make $40,000, $50,000 a year. Um, and, and generate some income and start to build residual slowly. But again, I really want at the beginning of this to dispel some of these really common myths that I deal with all day long, every day. Sometimes it's very difficult in a one-on-one conversation, or at least it used to be for me. Now I just kind of say it like it is and let the chips fall. But, you know, I talk to people all the time that, you know, they're not achieving the level of success that they want in sales. And again, in their mind, they feel like, well, you know, uh, I should just, this, you know, there's no variables. There's, there's like thousands and thousands of variables. So when I talk to somebody and they're like, James, I'm not, you know, being successful in sales. I, my first question is, have you ever been successful at selling small business owners, anything? Mm-hmm. And when they say, well, no, then I say, okay, so you're, so you're coming to me saying I've never been to medical school and I'm having a hard time becoming a brain surgeon. <laughs> yeah. Right. You know, this is sales. Like if you went out in the field with me, I would do things very differently than you if you're struggling. And the reason is because I'm really good at this. Just like you don't want me to operate on your brain. Okay. Um, I might not want you to try to sell me. (laughs) Right. Right? Right. So there, you know, there is a technique. There is lots of techniques. There's lots of things. So all that to say, sales is a really big topic and you should be reading sales books on a regular basis. You should be improving your skills. However, having said all of that, now, let me give you a really practical tip that can help those of you that are maybe newer or maybe you're not newer, you're just still really struggling with it. Um, one of the main issues I see is right at the beginning of the pitch, the salesperson is not creating questions and curiosity as the kind of emotional response to their opening pitch. Okay, give me an example if you don't mind. So I walk in and say, hi, my name is James Shepard. How are you doing today? Da, 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 da. Great. Well, the reason I came in is I help business owners with their payment processing and... And the next thing I hear is, I'm not interested in that. Sure. You did not yeah. generate questions and curiosity. Sure. sure. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. People will walk in and say, yeah, the reason I stopped by is um, we help business owners eliminate their payment processing costs and we're not interested. You're not generating questions and curiosity. Uh-huh, so uh-huh. a lot of times, one of the biggest struggles I see salespeople have with their opening pitch is they don't know what their objective is. And I'll talk to them and say, what's your opening pitch? And they'll give me some like, horrible opening. And I'll say, when you give that opening pitch in your ideal world, what do you want the business owner to say to that? And what they say to me will be something totally unrealistic. It's never going to happen. And I say like, does anybody ever say that to you? And they're like, no. And I'm like, well, then you need to change your opening pitch. So as an example, they'll say to me, well, I usually walk in and say, yeah, um, the reason I came in is I'm a local person and I'm helping people save money on credit card processing. And I'd like to see if you're interested in that. And I'm like, and what do you think they're going to say? Yeah. Well, I'm hoping that they say, yes, I'm interested. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm guessing that that doesn't ever happen, right? And they'll say, no, that never happens. They always say, no, I'm not interested. I say, right. 
So the, the problem is not necessarily that opening. The problem is the objective. They're trying to get the merchant to say yes to their opening. That's right. unrealistic and it's not going to happen. You can't get a merchant to say yes to your opening. That's like me walking into a, meeting a total stranger and saying, hey, I'm selling my house. Would you be interested in buying it? What, am I, what do I think they're going to say? Yeah. I haven't told them how big my house is. I haven't told them how much my house is. I haven't found out if they need to buy a house. I haven't found out if they have pre-approved to buy a house. Like we're way, way too far away from being able to make a decision. So I can't ask them a question when I haven't given them the data or anything about it. Um, you have to pique their curiosity and get them to ask questions. So how do we do that? Well, a lot, a lot, a lot of different ways. Again, the key point I want to get across is just that is your objective. So reverse engineer, because again, saying I sell payment processing now doesn't really mean very much. That could mean you're selling e-commerce solutions to a B2B contractor, or it could mean you're selling pizza shops on a point of sale system. So there's a lot of different presentations here, right? Um, mm -hmm. But at a high level, your goal with the opening pitch is to get them to ask questions and be curious. A couple of ways that I do that, I'll give you a couple of examples. I've talked recently about um, dual pricing, which I think is becoming more and more popular. Did a big live event on it the other day. It was a lot of fun. Um, when I go into business for that, I, I you know, have small talk with them, of course. So I think everybody knows that. You have your small talk, you make a little connection. And then I'd say, have you ever been to a gas station where they have the two different prices, one for cash and one for card? Have you ever experienced that? Now, let me ask you a question. How is the business owner going to say no to me at this point? Mm -hmm. no, to, no to what I'm offering. Mm -hmm. There's no way. Right, I haven't right. even given them enough information to tell me no. So there's no way for them to tell me no. Mm -hmm. They're just very curious and they're like, what is he, what, what does he offer? Like, what is he talking about? And then it's like, well, yeah, sure. I've been to gas stations like that. And I'll say, why do you think they do that? Well, the reason that I think they do that is because it costs money to process credit cards. So they don't, they don't, you know, they don't want to, you know, they want to get some extra revenue to, to cover that. And I'll say exactly. And, and see, that's what I do for small business owners like yours is I help you set up the, basically the same program using really unique technology. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now at that point, think about where we're at in this presentation. Do they really know what I do? No, not really. They know about the value that I can offer. They know about the benefit. See mm -hmm. the opening pitch should be questions, curiosity, and then it progresses to big picture benefits, not mm -hmm. specifics. If you give them too much specifics, you're giving them just enough information to say no, right, but not right. enough information to say yes. Now, notice I didn't say, well, that's what I do through our credit card processing. Mm -hmm. We implement a point of sale system that has a slightly increased price for cards. Then we keep the money. I didn't, I didn't say any of that. What I said was, I do the same thing for small business owners, but we do it with technology which really allows them to cover all their payment processing fees. But I didn't say exactly how I did it. So what, if, what is the response I'm fishing for? Questions and curiosity. I'm not looking for a yes or a no here. I'm not looking for a, oh, we would love that because that's unrealistic. I right. also don't want a, no, we're not interested in that because that's not what I want. I didn't get my point across yet. Instead, I'm just getting questions and curiosity. So now they're going to say, well, what do you mean? Or, well, how does that work exactly? Sure. Sure. Now I go a little further, but I don't go all the way. I just go a little bit further. And again, I'm, I'm going to get their questions and curiosity. Mm -hmm. I may not actually answer the question they're asking. You know, a lot of salespeople that are newer, um, they feel like, you know, like a law of sales to them is like, you must fully answer every question that is asked by the, the prospect. Um, 
nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, most of the time, you do not want to answer the full the, give the full answer to the question. Usually, you want to give an answer that provides some of the benefits, but we want to, again, pique the curiosity. We need forward momentum emotionally with the prospect. And so when we're designing our sales process and we're thinking through it, and I do this stuff all the time with consulting clients and, and things like that with like telemarketing and appointment scheduling. And, you know, I'll listen to their call recordings and I'm thinking to myself like, oh my goodness, like, wow, you're, this is what you're saying, really? <laughs> um, and then, you know, I don't even have to listen to the call recordings a lot of times. And I could say, I can already tell you what's happening. At this point in the pitch, the, the prospective customer is saying this. And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, right. Because what else would they say there? You're literally giving them a yes or a no question when you haven't given them enough information to say yes. So what do you expect? They're going to say no. So we change that to say, no, 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 no. Let's just get them to be curious and ask questions. And then we very, very slowly throughout the, the presentation as we're getting this momentum, we're getting them more interested. We bring obvious truths to them. So as an example, the dual pricing, I'll continue with that flow, right? So then they might say, well, well, how does that work exactly? Now I could answer the question, right? I could say, well, what it does is we have this terminal we put in and you put in your cash price. It takes it up 4% of the card price, right? I could do that, but that's stupid. I'm not going to do that. Instead, I'm going to say, well, let me ask you this question. When you think about your customer that walks in, in the door here, right? Pretty much all of them have experienced this at a gas station at one point where they paid a slightly higher price for the card, right? And they've mm -hmm. done that happily and it's been successful. Do you agree with that? Did I answer their question at all? No. Are they going to be upset that I didn't answer their question? No. They're going to ask me again, but even more curious. They're going to say, yeah, you're right. I'm sure all of them. Yeah. I mean, they, they, what am I doing? I'm, I'm getting that emotional momentum where they're thinking, this is a fantastic idea. Why hadn't I think of this before? They still don't know how I'm going to do it. But again, I want to keep the curiosity and the questions going until I really feel like I've got them. You've got to get the merchant to believe what you believe before you pitch them on the specific practical application of what you're trying to sell them. And so you got to think about what do you, what, what is this belief that you have, right? Maybe your belief is that a hair salon would be much better served if they had online appointment scheduling. So what's the opening pitch? Is it, hey, I offer online appointment scheduling? No, it's not. The pitch is, hey, um, quick question. Can I schedule a hair appointment online with you? That's the first question. Sure. Because sure. now they think you're a customer. Mm -hmm. And they say, no, we don't have that. You can tell by the tone of their voice how they feel about that. They might say, no, you know, we still don't have that. Really? Now you know where you're going, right? <clears throat> and now you talk about that and say, that's actually something that my business has kind of involved in. I mean, it sounds like you've considered it. We have, we have considered it. Well, that's interesting. Why, do you mind if I ask why you don't have it yet? Well, and you see what I'm doing? It's just questions and curiosity. I'm not pitching anything. So the, the key thing I want to get across here is a couple of things. Number one, sales is hard. It's complex. And it takes a, a, a you know, decades to become you know, amazing at it, right? It takes a long time. It takes a lot of work. So put some work into sales. Number two, if you're struggling in sales, most likely the, the most common issue uh, is in the opening, your objective is to get them to be interested in something and to get them to confirm that interest. And that is unrealistic. An opening pitch is designed to generate curiosity and questions. And so you have to be careful 
when you give them the practical information, because we don't want them to make a decision until they have this kind of emotional buy-in. So, so nail down, what is this core belief? I'm selling dual pricing. I believe they could pass the cost of processing on to the consumer without any negative benefit to them, uh, without any negative, and as a benefit to their customer. That's what I believe. Mm-hmm. How do I get them to believe that without giving them enough information to tell me no? And that's how I design my pitch. So then once I, I'm like, okay, you know what? They believe what I believe. They like what the gas stations do. They believe that their customers are used to it and that their customers have no problem with it. So they all, before I've even said what I do really, they already believe that this is something that's realistic for them that would be a good idea. Now and only now I'm going to say, let me tell you how I can make this happen for your business. Now I give them the specifics because I don't have to sell them on the idea, the, the belief, they already believe the same thing I do. Now I just have to tell them how we're going to make it happen. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, so that's, uh, again, I could talk for another hour and a half on this, so we'll end it here. But, you know, this is something where a lot of you need to take a step back, think more strategically about what you're saying when you walk into a business and generate curiosity and questions. And if you're not creating curiosity and questions, take a step back, redesign your opening pitch in order to do that. Good advice, James. Thank you so much. Thanks. This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by The Green Sheet. For nearly 40 years, The Green Sheet has been the go-to source for news, analysis, and educational tools that empower and connect payments professionals. If you're not reading The Green Sheet already, check it out on the web today at www.greensheet.com. So, James, I want to report today on um, on something I just just happened to see um, online. Actually, you sent it to me yeah. um, about a New Jersey lawmaker who wants more transparency in credit card surcharging and cash discounting. Right. Uh, State Assemblyman Paul Moriarty, he's deputy speaker of the House of the Assembly, excuse me. He's introduced several bills this year related to credit card fees. In January, he uh, put up a bill that would prohibit the card brands or acquirers from preventing merchants um, from offering cash discounts, deciding not to accept specific cards, mm. setting minimum dollar values on credit card purchases. Meaning he's protecting the merchant's right to be able to do that. Yes. Okay. All right. Protecting the merchant's right to offer cash discounts, uh, not accept specific cards, set minimum dollar amounts for credit card purchases, and choosing which network processes its transactions. Got it. Okay. Kind of similar to, you know, the debit issue that's been um, on the minds of a lot of merchants. Then in June, he introduced a bill that would prohibit merchants from from, um, surcharging in excess of their processing costs. You know, surcharge amounts that exceed their processing costs. They also, of course, the legislation also stated that they need to provide clear statements at the point of sale or by voice or on, you know, with a message online if it's a CMP, right. you know, of the existence of surcharge. And violations would cost $10,000 for the first occurrence, $20,000 for each subsequent occurrence. Wow. Yeah. Okay. That's got some teeth to it for a small That's business. That's got some teeth. Yeah. It hasn't gotten a lot of legs, but it definitely has some teeth. Um, I, I checked on all of these. They're all still pending. Um, but, to, you know, the most recent one, which is one that you sent me uh, the other day, is that he's um, re- readying another bill that requires specific notices. Uh, it's supposed to be introduced uh, in July, later in July. 
Um, I've not been able to look at the review, review only um, to look at the uh, bill, although I have read a lot of reporting about it. And it doesn't distinguish whether this applies to surcharges and cash discounting or one or the other. Yeah. But according to the reporting, the bill required notices to be placed at the door of an establishment and at the point of sale, or in the case of restaurants, on the menus. Yeah. And yeah. violators, again, would be fined 10 grand up to 20 grand. Yeah. And I <clears throat> well, I was just looking at the email I sent you, and, and there was this one quote I sent you. If you don't yes. mind, I, I want to read that. You want to read, read that quote, please. Yeah. So this is a quote from, from his legislation. As the costs of credit card interchange fees are being unfairly passed on to all consumers, even those consumers who do not use credit cards as a method of payment by way of inflated prices for goods and services, it is altogether fitting and proper to establish restrictions which allow for more transparency in the pricing of consumer goods and services and which promote competition with the credit card interchange fee market. He also said, just to, yeah. just as an, an add-on, there is little competition regarding credit card interchange fees, fee pricing by Visa and MasterCard. The two largest companies in the industry set pricing with their member banks and smaller merchants have no negotiating power. That yeah. I thought was an interesting point as well. You know, the fact yes. that he's, you know, looking out for the little guy and yeah. the consumer at the same time. Well, yeah. And I think, I think what's so interesting to me about this is every time I jump into the kind of the political fray a little bit and look at this, you know, I'm always struck by, you know, how, uh, what's the right word for this? How much positive momentum there is behind this concept of passing the cost of processing the consumer, because this is a Democrat. Okay. Mm -hmm. So we have Republicans who are for free speech mm -hmm. and right for the merchant, right. And kind of this uh, unrestricted capitalism. Right. And so we have the Republican angle to this, which is business owners should be able to do whatever they want and the government should leave them alone. That's, that's the Republican mm -hmm. angle. Right. Well, then I always, in my mind, four or five years ago, I always thought the Democrat side would be no, no, no. Protect the consumer. Don't allow this to happen. But that's not what it is. No. The, the angle from the, the Democrats has been, we need to um, protect the consumer that's paying cash, the consumer that has the, le you know, the least, mm -hmm. and we can't have them paying the same price as the people who are using their card and getting all these cashback rewards. So it's like we have Republicans think business owners should be able to do whatever they want and, and the government should leave them alone. Democrats think that it's good that we have differentiated pricing based on the payment method because that's actually more fair. You know, mm -hmm. the, the word unfairly passed on to all consumers. It's like, and it's know, also fair more. They're also saying it's more fair to the small business. Exactly. Both. Which And the small business, I think in the minds of many of these democratic um, lawmakers is almost the same as the consumer. Right. You know what I'm saying? Because yes. they're looking at them as the individual who owns that business exactly. needs, needs help. Yeah. So yeah. I think, I think long story short, it's like even, um, even the non-cash adjustment stuff, which obviously I'm not a huge fan of now, um, not just for compliance, but just because I think dual pricing is so much easier to sell. But I think even for those, it's just going to be so interesting. I feel like as this all shakes out, you know, over the next three to five years, I just don't see it going in a direction against these programs really no. from a legislative perspective. Now, again, in the, in the, in the interim, obviously the card brands, whatever are going to have to do what they have to do to regulate. But I think long-term, I think the political outlook for whatever it is, surcharging, dual pricing, cash discounting, whatever, 
it seems very good. Every time the state very gets favorable. involved. Yeah. Yeah. The states are always kind of like, well, yeah, why are we trying to restrict the business owner from doing this? This is a good thing. It's more transparent. So I just, yeah. I thought it was very interesting. Yeah. And, 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 it, you know, it kind of also speaks to the dual pricing idea of right. transparency. I mean, right. that's all anybody really wants is transparency. You know, yeah. I think on the early days, I, you know, I knew some people who uh, went to restaurants and they talked about the cash discount and they'd call me right. up because I'm the credit card person. Right. Yep. And I say, you know, do you understand how much these people are paying? Right. Right. <laughs> that's a mom and pop restaurant that's barely staying in business. Yep. Um, and, you know, when you start explaining it that way to people, they tend to understand. Yeah, they do. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, good stuff. Well, thanks for uh, bringing this one up, Patty. I, I'm glad you did the further research research to see some of these other things. I'll be interested to see if you can get some of this stuff through. Right. Um, it will right. be very interesting. And, and even the idea of the processing, the the amount they're passing on can't exceed the processing fees because right. there's a lot of people in New Jersey that are selling these programs where 1% cash back to the merchant on these types of programs. And so I've always those have always kind of rubbed me the wrong those way. Those have so. always kind of rubbed me the wrong way too. Yeah. It just doesn't seem kosher. Yeah, well, it just it, to me, it just seems kind of ridiculous. Like, just tell the merchant to not add as much of a fee. It's the six one right. half a dozen the exactly. other. Why does it need to flow well, through the processing company? The, the whole idea of a bounce back, though, just seems uh, right. Like we have to do a kickback, you know. Yeah. Know, so anyway, just, but uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out for sure. Yeah. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production of Greensheet.com and CCSalesPro.com. And we hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.